Real quick, we're now many of you that uh, those of you that have desired a manual probably have one by now. So we'll be moving into it in this session. In the meantime, before we get there, <clears throat> I know whenever I go places, I want to know why I should listen to a person. First off, I'm not one that's, as you probably have already gathered, not one that's much for titles. Uh, when I was in martial arts, we had guys that were, you know, grandmasters and tenth degree black belts and all that kind of stuff that couldn't win in a street fight if their lives depended on it. And so titles and belts and ranks and all that stuff does not matter. It's what you can produce. So I want to give you a couple of real quick testimonies because it wouldn't do you any good to sit here and listen to me if I can't produce. Right? So it's what produces. You're not here to hear more teaching. I, 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 how many of you have studied healing before? Usually a large number of the people. Now, probably any one of you could teach a session or a class on divine healing. So two things, and, and again, I, usually like to, I would like to say this at the end, but if I wait to the end, it doesn't need to be said. So I'll say it at the beginning, <laughs> before you get a good chance to know me, <clears throat> where you have a real good chance to misinterpret my meaning or my motives or anything else. Um, first off, when you begin to learn something, the best position to take is that you don't know anything. All right? Start from scratch. Because if you come in with preconceived ideas, you're always going to be trying to say, how does this fit in with what I already know? Now, first off, if what you already knew worked for you, you wouldn't be here. All right? I don't go to healing seminars. Why? Because what I'm doing works. I'll be honest with you. I've been through a bunch of them and learned a bunch of stuff that didn't matter and didn't work. And so the fact that you're here proves that you're wanting to be more effective. Okay? At the very least. Amen? And so, uh, I've had people say, for instance, people find out, my diet. And now diet has become a god in the church. And they rely on diet to keep them well more than they do the power of God. And I'll be honest with you, I live, (laughs) I have to believe in divine healing. Alright? I live off Cokes, chips, and fast food. Alright? So, and and if you don't like that, I'm sorry. But (laughs) you're in my healing meeting, I'm not in yours. Alright? So, (laughs) it's, okay, it's working for me, alright? And so, you know, don't, don't come to me with the idea about you have to have perfect nutrition because perfect nutrition is almost impossible to have today, okay? Even if you eat all the right foods. I have never tasted a vegetable, right? That's, I know if there's kids here, you probably need to close your ears or something. But um, now what I mean by that is anything green, yellow, anything along those lines. Now, potatoes, I've eaten potatoes, all right? You just really can't mess up a potato, all right? Fried, mashed, I don't care. Baked, anyway, they're pretty well good. Okay, But um, anything that they say is supposed to be good for you that's green or yellow or any of those other colors, I have not eaten. Right? And don't plan to start. So don't be praying for me because you're in witchcraft. All right? All right? I'm good. All right? Um, but the reason I say that is because all the things you put your faith in are going to let you down. Simple as that. I know people that... I'm not against exercise. I exercise. I believe in it. But I do it more for the discipline than anything else. And so, you know, exercise is good, but there's people that jog all their lives and then drop dead from a heart attack. And so exercise is not the answer. A diet does not cure everything, and there are people that eat as well as they can and still die from nutritionally defective diseases. And so there's all kinds of things that go in. So I trust God that uh, He keeps me. All right? Simple as that. Now, I agree that 
you know, you can eat good and try to eat good and all that kind of stuff. I agree. If you want to do that, that's fine. Just this is not going to become a nutritional seminar, right? And usually whenever you bring in nutrition, all of a sudden everything shifts toward it. Now, there are diseases that we would say are caused by a lack of nutrition, okay? You know, they, they knew that scurvy was caused by a lack of vitamin C, and then there's various other diseases. Now, and people say, okay, how does that tie in with the idea that all sickness is of the devil? Well, all destruction of the human body, all death, disease, all those things are under his category, right? So whether, he, whether a particular disease is an actual demon, or whether it is just the results of it, or the results of destruction or decay in the human race, in the sense of what we eat or where we are or the air you breathe and all that kind of stuff, it all falls into the category of Satan of killing, stealing, and destroying out of John 10.10, right? So whenever I speak to a sickness or disease, you'll find out that one of the things we do is we treat it all like a devil, right? We will talk to it like a person. We'll tell it what we want it to do, but we treat it all the same. As far as I'm concerned, if I say, if you have cancer, I'll say, devil, go, all right? Generally speaking, now I can say cancer or individual things, but regardless, I'm all referring back to killing, stealing, and destroying. Now, the sickness knows, the body knows, the cancer knows, the demon knows, the devil knows, right? So, one of the things you're going to find out is this. Now, you've been taught in times past that you're looking for a formula. How do I pray? How do I pray for this? How do I pray about that? What, how should I pray effectively or what do I say to be effective? And I'm going to tell you right now. What you say is not near as important as who says it. Alright? Devils don't listen to you because you get the right words. Devils listen because your names are written in heaven. Right? They listen because of who you are and who you're connected to, not because you say it right. Now, we've all tried the formula stuff and we know it doesn't work. There are times when it seems to work, but most often it doesn't. And so this is not going to be a seminar about formulas. Now, there is a general method, but it's not a formula. The general method is find out the name of the thing, and if you can't find out the name, find out the symptom. And then you command the thing to go. You don't ask God. At that point, see, when a person stands in front of me asking me to minister to them, at that point, I do not talk to God at all. All right? I've already talked to God. If, I, if I'm going to talk to God about that person's sickness, what is he going to say? 1 Peter 2.24 By his stripes, they were healed. And right, and can he say anything else? He can't say anything else without violating his own word. So why do I need to talk to him about it? Isn't that right? I don't need to ask him, Well, but it, God, is it your will to heal this person? What can he say? That it's not? It's his, isn't it his will that all be saved? Well, healing is just a part of salvation. It's the same word used, and it's been translators that decided whether they use the word healed or saved. And so, it's all part of the same thing. So, it all comes back to just knowing who you are in Christ. So, essentially, this seminar is not going to be so much about... It's, it's going to be about healing, but it's going to come from the, from the angle, if you want to say, use that word, of who you are in Christ. There's going to be a whole lot more about who you are in Christ than there are... Then there is going to be about specific um, healing in general. You've heard all the healing stuff. And there is some truth to it. But the truth is real basic. So Again, one of the things that I learned in the martial arts. The fancy moves are only used for show. All the stuff that really works, the things that end fights, are the basics. 
right? The, the more because the more complicated it gets, the more opportunity your opponent has to intervene somewhere, to mess you up. But the simpler, the more direct, the the the, the easier, the more basic, the more likely you are, the faster you are to win, right? So the idea here is not to see. You're not going to see any videotapes from me on three. You know, what is it? Those three six-hour tapes of me casting a devil out of somebody. Because if you, if you take that long, you are almost useless. Right? The Bible does not say counsel demons out. It says cast them. Alright? Now, counseling has to do with discipleship. So there's a viable need for it, right? You're working with people and helping them. But that's after you get them free. You get them free first. It's a whole lot easier to deal with people once you get them free. You know, one good come out is better than ten hours of counseling. Right? Doesn't wear you out near as much. Now, but see, what we want to do in the church a lot of times is we want to be seen as specialists. We want people to think that we're experts and we know what we're doing, so we get into all of these other little isms that end up trying to make us seem important and like we know what we're doing. Rather than just being simple. The, I had some people ask one time, well, we've been to the DHT, would you come back and do an advanced DHT? And I said, well, I can do one, but... <laughs> If anything, it's going to be simpler. Because if I did my job right the first time, then it, I should have made it simple. See, I need to write this definition down. An anointed teacher makes the complicated simple. An annoying teacher makes the simple complicated. Right? So we have more annoying teachers than we do anointed teachers. Because the Bible is simple. It is easy. There's not a bunch of hidden stuff. People say, well, but I'm digging down to the, to the hidden meaning behind it. You know, I'm reading between the lines. There's nothing between the lines. All right? People want to get down into the, to the... People say, well, let's get down into the meat. I got news for you. The meat is not what you think it is. All right? The meat isn't this deep... See, most people have turned Christianity into Gnosticism. You got to know the secret, and you're initiated into this elite group that knows the secret. That's not Christianity. Jesus said, "I didn't do anything secret. I did everything out in the open. I preached out in the open. I healed out in the open. I did everything out in the open." We don't take people back into separate rooms. We do it right there. It's not a show. It's a matter of fact. Most people get mad because we're not theatrical. To be honest with you, most people, a lot of times, discount discount us because it's not theatrical enough. You know, Saturday night. Now, I have not, honestly, I didn't talk to anybody about these meetings till this morning. We got in here, uh, actually, day before yesterday, late night. But I didn't, I purposely generally don't talk to people because I don't want to know what's going on. Because a lot of times when you know what's going on, you, you have a tendency to preach in that direction. And so I make it a habit of not talking to anybody before the meetings. That way I preach what I preach. And if what I hit is something going on, you know it's by the Spirit of God, not because somebody whispered in my ear and said, hey, preach against this. So what comes out is what comes out. So I'm pretty, you know, that way there's no preconceived ideas. Now, at the same time, I purposely, uh, on Saturday nights, I don't know if we're going to have music. If we do, that's wonderful. I don't care. I don't need it. I I don't, you're going to learn several things. You're not going to need an atmosphere. People talk about atmosphere for healing. Wonderful if you can get it. Jesus didn't have it. Jesus didn't have the Blackwood Brother Quartet behind him going around Galilee. You know? Boys, you know, sing, sing, sing that song I like one more time. I, I feel the anointing. I, I, I want to I get the atmosphere right. You know? 
Let's let's try to get this this thing going. If you'll sing, you know, if you'll sing that song, if you'll hit that note just right, I think the the, the spirit will hit. Jesus didn't have that. And when you go to Walmart or wherever you shop, you're not going to be able to walk over, you know, to go to the customer service desk and hand them your little healing CD music CD thing. You know, would you put this on? I'm going to be over an aisle free healing the sick. And I just need some atmosphere. No, you are the atmosphere. When you walk into a place, the atmosphere will change. Why? Because when you walk in, if you know who you are, devils will know who you are. And the atmosphere will change because you will be the spiritual authority in that area. When you walk in the door, things will change. Matter of fact, when you walk in, a lot of them will run out. They will leave because they don't want you getting a hold of them. We've seen that a lot of times. We start to lay hands on people and they'll fall before you touch them. And anytime they do, I automatically go right down with them. And I still put my hand on them. Why? Because a lot of times it's a devil not wanting you to put your hands on them. And so we just follow them right on down. Once they're on the floor, they ain't going nowhere. Right? Then they're trapped. <laughs> they can't even wiggle out from under you. But we, I want to say all this because we've seen a few things happen that verify. Almost every, how can I say it, every uh, tradition that we have built up in the church. I have seen someone healed violating that tradition almost every time. Well, you know, God's not going to heal you until you get your life right. That's not true. And we've seen Him heal outright sinners a lot of times faster than He will Christians. You know, and usually the reason is because Christians rely on their goodness. God, I've been a Sunday school teacher. God, I've done this. God, I've paid my tithes. God, I'm on church. I don't understand it. Why don't I? And He said, that's not, that's not the basis of it. Whereas a sinner comes in and says, I ain't got nothing. God, if you'll heal me, I'll just know you're a good God. Because I don't deserve it. And they get healed. Why? Because nobody deserves it. See, that's, that's the main thing you've got to get across. You don't pick and choose who gets healed. Jesus said that. He said, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely you've received, freely give. That wasn't an offering sermon. Usually we, we say that when we're going to take up an offering. You know, well, now freely you receive, so freely give. Jesus wasn't saying that. He said, listen, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils. I've given you this power freely, give it away freely. Heal anybody, anytime, anywhere of anything. Amen. Isn't that simple? That we don't always have to be wondering about, when is God trying to work this out in this person's life? Is it, what's going on here? Is this sowing and reaping? Is, see, I would not want a spirit-filled, word-taught Christian as a policeman guarding my house. Because I'm on the road most of the time. And if he was a word-taught, spirit-filled Christian, he'd be driving through some night, and he sees some burglar coming out of my window with my stereo on his shoulder. And if he's, if he's a good Christian, the way they are today... His first thing, he's going to grab up the microphone and call the headquarters, call dispatch and say, this is so-and-so, um, I, I, I see a burglar coming out of Curry Blake's window, he's got a stereo on his shoulder, what do you want me to do? And they're going to say, what do you think you ought to do? Well, I, you know, I just want to get permission from headquarters. Well, no, what did we tell you to do? Didn't you take an oath to uphold the laws? Well, yeah. The way it did against the law to steal a stereo? Yeah, but you know, this, come on, Curry, this could be some sowing and reaping. Curry might have done something. He deserves this. <laughs> See, I don't want a Christian guarding my house. Isn't that right? And that's the way we... Now, would it be alright for him to think that way? You know what they're going to say? Arrest the guy. Come in. When you get there, turn in your gun and your badge. You're too stupid to be a cop. <laughs> Isn't that right? Now, do you, but do you realize... Now, why is it wrong for a cop to think that way, but it's okay for a Christian? See, stupid, stupid, no matter where it's at. Isn't that right? 
So right is right. If, and so it's not a matter of... Do you realize that everybody Jesus dealt with, they were the sinners just like anybody else? Do you realize that if generational curses are true today, they were true back then? How come Jesus never dealt with one? He had a greater healing ministry than anybody else. And they're right. He had... Mul- now think about this. Jesus had multitudes. Now, you know how big a multitude is? Okay? We're not a multitude. Right? You wouldn't even call this a multitude. We know that Jesus had 5,000 men, right, at one time. So he probably had closer to 20,000 in his meeting, figuring wives, children, so-and-so, many times. Now, it is a fact. I've done this everywhere I've gone. And I guarantee if we took a poll here, it would be about the same. And, And we're the Christians. We're supposed to be the well, right? We're not supposed to be the sick getting well. We're supposed to be the well, healing the sick. And I spend so much time getting the Christians well that I I have to go out on purpose and try to find sick sinners and work with them, which is actually the biblical part. And yet, Jesus had crowds, multitudes, 20,000. And what I found out is that in every group that we minister to, 90% need healing. Doesn't matter, sinner, saint, doesn't matter. Church, out in the world, doesn't matter. All the same. Now, assuming that those statistics were true back in Jesus' day, and since human character and, and nature hasn't changed, then I would assume pretty much that everything would be the same. And if they had, if Jesus had 90% of his crowds, there were about five different times when it said, and he healed them all. Now, if you have a crowd of 20,000, 90% would be about 18,000. And if you had 18,000 sick people and he healed them all, now you're going to tell me, now think about this, Jesus had to be the luckiest preacher that ever lived. Because he could get a a crowd of 20,000, 18,000 needed healing. He gets them all healed. That means that he had 18,000 people that it just so happened they all had enough faith. It just so happened that that day was the day that God had picked for them to be healed. It just so happened that none of them had generational curses that they had to go back in and chase down and drive out. You realize it? So Jesus never dealt with any of those things. And if he didn't deal with them, what makes you think you should? Isn't that right? You, You as a... As a Christian, you have no... It's your representative of Him. Well, the representative has no right to say or do anything that the person they're representing didn't or wouldn't say. Isn't that right? So when you start telling people, when I tell you what, when you get enough faith, you come back. Well, hello, when they get enough faith, they won't need to come back. Right? They will have it. They got enough faith. They got healed. And I've had... People say that at times before. Well, so-and-so told me I needed more faith. Jesus never told anybody that. He never told them. You know, all the faith he ever took with them was them coming to him. So obviously he had some faith. People say, well, no, everybody has to have their own faith. Really? Who had faith for Lazarus? Wasn't Lazarus. Isn't that right? Lazarus didn't have faith. If he had faith, he'd have been healed. He wouldn't have died. But he didn't have faith, so he died. So who had faith for him? Jesus. John Wesley, there's 247 accounts of healing in John Wesley's ministry. And some people didn't even know this, but even back in William Booth's day, when he started the Salvation Army, there were reports of not only the sick being healed, but the dead being raised. Now they've drifted a bit from that today, but they're still doing a good work. But here, John Wesley, he rode his horse everywhere he went. He had a horse, his, his name was Hank. And everywhere he went, he rode over 250,000 miles on that horse. All right? I, I, 
I'm getting close to them. I've got 270,000 miles in that Tahoe. And when I got it two years ago, it had 60,000 miles. So we, we put about a little over 200,000 miles in the last two years on that thing. But now he rode that horse 240, 250,000 miles. And one day the horse went lame on him. And so he gets down, prays for the horse, and Hank is healed. And I always tell everybody, well, it's a good thing that Hank had faith for healing. <laughs> because that's what people think today. Of course, Hank didn't have faith. Amen? It's amazing how we think that. See, that's why I told you, you're going to get a good dose of responsibility because you're going to realize that it's not the sick person's responsibility to have faith. Okay? They weren't given the command to heal the sick. It's a command. It didn't say heal the sick if they have faith. It said heal the sick. Why? Because it's an act of war. It is destroying the works of the devil. So you can have faith for people. And once you... See, it gets so much simpler once you realize that this is warfare. And that when a person stands in front of you and you're going to minister to them, man, it's easy. Because you're not having to deal with anything. Matter of fact, and and understand when I say this, what I mean by it. When you minister to a sick person, when I'm ministering to them, I don't even think... Understand, my compassion goes out to them because of the situation they're in, obviously. So, in that way, of course, they matter, right? The people matter. People always matter. More so than methods, more so than anything else, people matter. But when it comes to them being healed, they don't matter. I don't even concern myself with them. When I stand there and that person is in front of me, the only two, quote-unquote, people involved at that point is me and the devil. That's it. Well, I've got God backing me. He's in me. He lives, he's living in me and through me. And that person is just the battleground. They don't matter. You understand when I say they don't matter. Of course they matter. I care about them. But I'm saying whether they believe, whether they don't believe, no matter what, they don't matter. Why? Because that devil has to listen to me no matter what they believe. Isn't that right? He says that he has power. And he, Jesus himself said he has power and authority over all devils. Every disciple Jesus ever had he always gave them power. He, he did two things. He called them to preach and to give them power and authority over sickness and disease. He never called a person. He never sent a person to preach that he did not give them at the same time the authority and power over sickness and disease to cure it, the Bible says. So if I have authority, Luke ten nineteen tells me that I have authority over all Sick, well, actually overall demons, scorpions, isn't that right? Snakes, all that kind of stuff, serpents and scorpions. I have authority over all demons, isn't that right? Well, if I have authority over all demons, then they've got to listen to me. It doesn't matter where they're at. Just because they're in that person doesn't mean they don't have to listen. Well, yeah, but what if that person wants it? So, cast it out. Well, yeah, but what if they want it? Well, if they really want it after I cast it out, they can go find it again. They can find it the first time. Isn't that right? They'll be seven times happier, as a matter of fact. If they really want it. Isn't that right? And then, I mean, think about it. Do you realize Jesus told the story about a demon being cast out? And he goes out, but the person didn't change. And so he came back and they, got, they were seven times worse. Isn't that right? Well, that proves that the person wanted the devil because he came right back in. But yet somebody cast the devil out. So that proves that you can cast out a devil that the person wants. Because if that wasn't true, then the person wouldn't have got it back if they didn't want it. Right? So, you know, they found it, like I said, they found it the first time. They had to do something to get it. And so they'll, they can get it again. So, but see, we want to, what we're trying to do is we're trying to say, well, this person deserves it or do they really want freedom? 
If you ask a person, now listen, whenever I set you free, are you going to live free? And what do you think they're going to say? How do you know if they say, no, I'm going to go right back to doing what I was doing before? Well, how do you know that's not a lying devil talking to you? Most people don't even know what it means to be free. You you say, well, but come on, God ain't going to heal them. You know, they got a crippled leg. You think God's going to heal them if they're going to go back dancing in the nightclubs? Yeah. He saved you and you didn't quit sinning. Isn't that right? Well, yeah, but he knows ahead of time what they're going to... Well, if that's true, then how'd you get saved? You didn't stop sinning the day you got saved. You still messed up after that, isn't that right? See, all these little things that we built up over time do not hold water, not according to the Bible or personal experience. Now, we, we obviously have to go by the Bible more than personal experience. But I can go through... Man, people say, well, you know, but if there's any unbelief... We got nothing's going to happen, so we all got to be in unity. Now that's a cop out, because Jesus healed in the middle of their unbelief, all the time. There was a man that came to him and said, "Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief." Well, there's unbelief, but yet the boy got healed. Isn't that right? And then people say, "Yeah, but what about the scripture? It says he could do no mighty works there because their unbelief." Well, remember this: a religious person always quotes half a verse. Quote the other half, because what it says is he could there do no mighty works because of their unbelief, except. That he laid his hands on a few sick folk and healed them. So even in the middle of the unbelief, the sick got healed. Now, what mighty works did he not get to do? I don't know. It doesn't say. But I know this. He did do mighty works of healing because it says no mighty, he couldn't do any mighty works there except. So that means there were some mighty works that were done and the mighty works that were done were healing the sick. Why? Because they had authority over demons and sickness. See, all of these things we built up, none of them hold water. It is amazing how ineffective we have made ourselves. We have boxed ourselves into a little bitty corner that everything has to be just right before God will work, before He'll show up, before we can set people free. And, you know, we think it's a big deal when one out of ten gets healed. We're excited. Now, obviously, for that one, it's great. What about the other nine? See, Jesus healed them all. Until we're operating at that point, we're not good representatives of Him. Now, when we first started, remember I told you how we got a hold of manual, started studying it, changed the way we prayed, changed our believing. And over the next nine months that we were there at our house, people were coming in regularly. And when they would come in, they were... Actually, there was one guy that was uh, more or less a professional pool player that got healed of um, mercury poisoning. And it, it had the effect on his body that he looked like he had AIDS. And they actually thought he had AIDS at one point. But a person that didn't like him put mercury in in a drink. And he drank it. And for, I think it was four or five years, he just kept wasting away because of the mercury poisoning. He was dying. And he couldn't eat certain foods. He couldn't keep them down. Uh, He had a real ashen kind of color, the whole bit. And we, we had been doing some teaching. And he heard about it. And a friend of his brought him to us. And so we prayed for him. God healed him, totally healed him. Matter of fact, we were there praying for people, and, and uh, one night he came to me and he said, you know, he, he was bringing people out to be prayed for, and he wasn't even hadn't even prayed for and healed himself yet, but he had heard, and so he came there and we were praying for a bunch of people one night, and he said, would, would you, won't you pray for me? He said, Ben, you know, because I'd like to get rid of this. And I'm like, well, yeah, okay, what's going on? So we, we talked a little bit, and I found out. I said, and I, here's the thing, I didn't even pray. What I did was I said, well, I said, well, what's, what does it do? He said, well, I can't eat anything hardly, can't keep anything down. And I said, all right. 
if you could eat anything you wanted to, what would you eat? And he said, right now, I'd like to have a vanilla milkshake from Jack in the Box, which is a fast food. I don't know if you have them up here or not, but it's a fast food place. And I, I looked at him, I said, go drink one. And he left. He said, bye. He left right then, right in the middle of the meeting. He's gone. He left. I didn't see him for two weeks. Two weeks later, we're in the mall. Here he comes walking down toward me, has a toothpick in his mouth. And he had just left a Mexican restaurant. And I said, how are you doing? And he's like, man, great. I need anything. I went and drank the vanilla, vanilla milkshake. Now, you say, how did, but that was the Spirit of God told you to tell him that. No, he didn't. You say, well, where'd you get it from? Uh, I remember a story. And so, see, I had remembered a story where Wigglesworth one time was praying for a guy, or he didn't pray for him. The guy had no foot. And Wigglesworth, he said, well, go try some shoes on. Go buy a pair of shoes. And the man only had one foot. And he thought he was crazy. And finally he thought, well, he's the man of God. Might as well go do what he told me. And he went down to the shoe salesman. And he went in and told the guy, said, I want to see a pair of shoes in such and such size. And the guy looked at him, looked at his foot and thought, yeah, right. And he said, I know, just do what I told you to do. And the guy went and got him a pair of shoes. And when he, his foot was down to the ankle, but he didn't have a foot. And so when he put the stump into the shoe, his foot grew on. Why? Because he was in obedience to what the man of God told him. Right? Now, God didn't tell Wigglesworth what to tell the guy. See, that's what you've got to realize. It's not always hearing a voice of, do this, do that. That's wonderful if you get it. If you get it, do it. But if you don't get it, just do the Bible. See, people were always waiting for a leading. And I'm telling you, the Bible says you're always led. Romans 8.14, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. The Greek in that says, as many as are constantly led. You're constantly led. Matter of fact, that verse is taken out of context for the most time. Talking about doing something. Because the, the, do you realize that nowhere in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, are you ever told to wait for a leading for anything? Not one time. It says you make sure you're filled and God will make sure you're led. But He can't make sure you're led until you're filled. Right? So your job is to stay filled. If you stay filled, He'll keep you led. It's as simple as that. Now, you've got to stay filled. That's the whole point. Now, but the amazing thing is in Romans chapter 8, where that verse is, 8.14... The whole chapter is not even talking about being led to go heal the sick or do anything else. It says, it's talking about being led to mortify the deeds of the flesh. So in other words, he's saying, as long as you're mortifying the deeds of the flesh, you know you're being led by the Spirit of God because the flesh sure isn't leading you. So it's not even talking about that. Nowhere in the Bible does it tell you to wait for leading. Nowhere in the New Testament. When I say Bible, most of the time I'm referring to the New Testament. Right? Because, believe it or not, we're under a new covenant. We have a new covenant Better covenant with better promises. The old covenant does not apply to you. We have a new covenant. Now, there are principles, there are aspects of it, but the biggest problem in the church is that 99.9% of all Christians are operating under an old covenant mindset as opposed to a new covenant mindset. And as long as you try to act like an Old Testament saint, you're you're going to be a servant. But whenever you become a New Testament saint, you become a son. Do you believe in sowing and reaping? It's an immutable law. Isn't it right? You sow what you reap is what you've been sowing. What, do you know that that law has been in effect from Genesis? Isn't it right? Seed time and harvest. Same thing. That's what it talks about in Genesis. Now realize this. God 
did not sow a son to reap servants. He sowed a son to reap sons. And even the Bible tells us that Jesus was going to bring many sons to glory, not servants. Our problem is we have a servant mentality. You want to be a servant. You want to be told what to do, when to do, and how to do it. That's not a son. That's a servant. And in Galatians chapter 4, verse 7, it says, Wherefore, you are no more servants, but sons. Why? And because you're sons, he has sent forth the spirit of his son into you, crying, Abba, Father. But our problem is we want to be servants. Well, and now we're, we even introduce people. Here's a servant of God. No, I'm a son who serves. See, there's a difference. A servant doesn't have the right. A servant doesn't know what his master does. That's what Jesus said. But a son knows. A son knows. And a son acts like a son. Now, you say, but what about me? I'm a woman. Neither flesh. There's neither male nor female. Isn't it right? You're in Him. You're in Jesus. You ceased from your works. And what you're doing now, it's His works through you. So it's not about, well, I'm a man or I'm a woman. No, you're a son. Male or female, you're a son. Why? Because you're in the son and it's the son working through you. It's the works of Jesus going through you. Isn't that right? It's the works of His Son, the Spirit of His Son. So it has nothing to do with who you are, what you are. We, we've caught a lot of flack before because we use women in ministry a whole lot. We ordain women in ministry. We put them through. You know, as far as I'm concerned, I don't care what race, sex, nationality, whatever. It makes no difference. If you can do the job, you'll be in the position. Simple as that. Because believe me, if you, that's what Paul Yonggi Cho says. You want to start a church? Send a woman. She'll get it done. Why? Well, because mainly because she can get all the men to do stuff for her. <laughs> right? I mean, she, the woman says, please, and the men jump over there and do it, generally. Unless it's a husband, then it takes longer. <laughs> now, you've heard that, that statement, what is it, that a, a woman's job is never finished, never done, isn't it right? A woman's work is never done. Well, my wife has a sign that says, the woman's work is never done, is the work she gives to her husband to do. So, <laughs> so, but I want you to realize that all of this stuff that we built up, what you're going to get out of these next three days is freedom. It's amazing. You don't always have to make sure you're right. It's a, it, and all you have to have is the right heart, the right motive. My dad was a policeman, as I told you. And I was doing some research recently in authority. We did a teaching on, uh, actually on authority. Yeah, it's called, I think it's called The Secret of Great Faith or something like that. It's, I think it's in there, but it's basically on authority. Because the only two people that Jesus ever told had great faith, one of them was a Roman centurion. And he said, because he understood authority, basically, he said, I hadn't found this kind of faith in anybody, even in Israel. And, but the Roman centurion's testimony was, I'm a man under authority, and I recognize authority. And that's why he told Jesus, you don't have to go, just say it. Do you realize that that Roman centurion was operating at a higher level of faith than most Christians? Because we're still trying to get Jesus to show up. Isn't it right? Jesus, please come down. Lord, let your glory fall. Lord, send your power. Lord, show up. We want him to show up at our house. We want to do something. And I'm telling you, many times, I don't know if you'd want him to show up or not. Because he might show up kind of aggressive towards you. You know, what have you been doing? Matter of fact, it says when he comes, he's going to judge everybody's works. He's going to come with, his, with their reward in his hand. And they're right. You sure you want him to show up? You know, I got people that always say, well, we're praying, you know, Maranatha, the Lord, come quickly. And I'm like, no, that's not what I'm praying. I'm like, Lord, hold off. <laughs> hold off. There's still some sick. There's still some people that, are, that if you came right now, they wouldn't go. Hold off. 
You see, but it's because I'm not trying, I'm not looking at the rapture as something to get me out of here as an escape valve. We've got a job to do. We, we've got work to do here. You know, now, when he comes, I'm ready to go. But I'll tell you what, the Bible says when he comes, will he find faith on the earth? And right, he said, blesses that servant. And when he comes, he finds him, what, busy, working, right? Not having all your prophetic scriptures in line. You know, well, I can tell you when Jesus is going to come. He didn't say that's when he's going to, he didn't say he's going to look at that servant and say, boy, you're really sharp. But he's going to say, well done to those that have been busy, those that have been faithful, those that are doing the work. And that right? And yet we want to just gather up and sit at his feet and, and wait on him and just kind of, you know, just sing a little kumbaya song and, you know, have a little campfire thing. Well, that's wonderful, but I like what Dr. Lake, I learned this from Dr. Lake. He said, people have told me to pray and then run. But I have learned by the Spirit of God how to pray as I run. See, when I first started, I'd heard all the stories. I, I knew a man of God that went off into the mountains of, over in Arkansas. Got in a little cabin, stayed there for like 30 days, fasted and prayed, and went in, blessed God, I'm going to go and get the power of God. And he's a pretty powerful man of God. And I was thinking the same thing. I was, okay, well, I, I know where I can get a cabin out in the Ozarks, and I know where I can go out there, and I can fast and pray, and, and bless God, I'm going to go in there, and I'm just going to stay until I, when I come out of there, I'm going to glow. I mean, I'm going to be walk two foot off the ground, and kind of float back in, have the power of God. And, and, I, and I'm thinking, man, I'm, I'm thinking this is good. You know, this is what I should, this is the attitude I should have. And here I'm getting all ready to go. I mean, I'm ready to go out there and stay in this cabin. And while I'm getting ready to go, the Spirit of God speaks up. And He says, and while you're gone trying to find me, how many people are going to die that you would touch if you'd stay here? And He said, and matter of fact, while you're gone trying to find me, if you find me, what makes you think that if you have to go there to find me, that when you come back here, you'll be able to keep me? And when then I realized... Christianity, that, that you can't live around people, is not Christianity. You know, it'd be great to be a monk in a monastery somewhere. But come on, how hard is it to be holy when you're by yourself? I mean, come on, it's people that make it hard. Isn't it right? So you need a Christianity that works when you're among people. Not when you're off by yourself. What good are you to people when you're shut off by yourself? And, and I'm not talking about not having times of, of, of intimacy with God, where you spend time with God. But... Most of the time we use that as an excuse. And here's the other thing is, you're trying to go find something you already got. You're trying to, well, I'm going to go get power. Really? He said that you'll receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Have you got the Holy Ghost? Well, yeah. Well, then you got power. Well, but I don't feel like I have power. Well, I'm sorry I didn't read it out of the new Christian version. But but you shall feel as if you have power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. It doesn't say that. It says you'll have power. Isn't that right? You know? Now, the difference is, see, feeling you have power is one thing. Knowing you have it is something else. Most people that feel they have it don't really have it. Most people that just know they have it and walk in it. That's one of the things I loved about Dr. Summerall. I was around this man, and he showed me I could be spiritual and practical at the same time. He showed me that you can live around people and keep your spirituality. And that you don't have to separate yourself and you don't have to get off by yourself and, and just spend all this time on your face praying and fasting. There's a world out there that's hurting. Hey, matter of fact, you realize that we are only told one time in the Bible to wait. Now, again, I'm talking New Testament. Right? One time. 
Jesus said, you wait in Jerusalem until you receive the promise of my Father. Isn't that right? Now, first I would see automatically say, see, we've got to wait. No, no, no. no. If you're going to take that part, then go to Jerusalem to wait. What are you waiting here for? You can't wait here. You've got to wait in Jerusalem. That's what he said. Isn't that right? But we're told one time to wait, and then every other time he says, go, go, go. But yet we hang up on wait. Why? Because we don't want to go. Matter of fact, you realize that most Christians spend most of their time, you know what they're doing? Studying. Do you, re- you realize that? We're always studying. New book, new tape, new seat, something, always studying. Why? But yet we've become like those in Timothy. Always learning, but never coming to a knowledge of the truth. Why? Because as soon as we, you realize that if we continue to study, we're safe. We're growing. I'm not ready yet. I'm in God's greenhouse. But at the minute we quit studying, we know that if we stop studying, we actually got to go do something. And we don't want to go do something. We'd rather sit in a group and study around other people that we, where we know we're accepted, where we know it's safe, rather than actually get up and go do what we've learned around people that we don't like, don't want to be around, and surely don't want visiting us. You know, I was in a church one time where a guy came in and sat down on the front row. And the ushers came and moved him. Because he wasn't dressed appropriately. He was a street person. And they were filming for television. And so they moved him back where the camera couldn't catch him. And it was the last time I was at that church. Because the Bible clearly says you don't treat people differently by how they dress. It's a violation of scripture. We have to realize maybe he needed to sit up close. Maybe he didn't hear well. Maybe he needed to sit down front. Maybe you put him back there. Maybe he didn't hear the message. Maybe he needed to sit down front so he would just annoy the heck out of all the religious people. <laughs> maybe that's why God sent him in there. I don't know. You know. Maybe he was an angel. I don't know. So but we need to realize what we're here for. We're not here. See, this whole what you're learning these next three days isn't about you. It's not even for you. It's for those out there that aren't getting touched. See, you know God. If you died right now, I'm assuming you know God. If you died right now, you're okay. You know, I, I, we, we went down. We were here yesterday. We walked down the street and went by the army recruiters. And went in because I got some great brochures and stuff, right? And we're redoing a bunch of stuff and we're setting it up similar. And the guy asked me, you know, what I was interested in. And I told him, I said, you know, if I was 15 years younger, you know, I'd probably enlist. Probably wouldn't bother me. Uh, I, said, I told him this. I said, you know, even though they have raised the, the enlistment rate from, from 40 to 42, I still don't fit. And, uh, and he, then all of a sudden he looks at my son. He's like, how about you? How are you doing? You know? <laughs> so... But then I was picking up all these brochures, and he says, well, then who are you picking these up for? And I told him, and I said, I'm basically just getting ideas. And boy, he loaded us down and gave us one of everything. And, but just we walked down there, and I started realizing, looking at, at what they're doing, and I've thought about this before, do you realize that God is like a good recruiter? You ever realize that? Man, they'll promise you everything. Getting you in. Isn't that right? Oh, yeah, man, we'll give you schooling, we'll give you college, we'll, man, we'll, where do you want to serve? Well, I'd like to serve in Hawaii. No problem. No problem. Sign right here. Yeah, and you might make it to Hawaii by way of Alaska or somewhere else like that. You know? And you, you say you're, you're comparing God. Oh, yeah, he, he won't lie to you. He'll get you there. But do you realize that when you get in, when they're talking to you, it's all about you. What do you want? What are your goals? What are your plans? But once you get in, it's like, oh, you're in now. Now it's what the army wants. It's what the army's goals. It's the army's plans, right? The last free will choice you make when you join the military was to get in. After that, you're told everything. You don't have a choice. Well, I got news for you. That's the way it is in Christianity. Your last free will choice was, I, I, Jesus, I make you my Lord. That's it. 
Once He's your Lord, you don't have free will. But, you know, praying for the sick, that's not my ministry. Then get born again. It's real simple. You know? Because Jesus didn't have a healing ministry. Matter of fact, Paul never mentioned a healing ministry. You know what Paul said? He said he's made us ministers of reconciliation. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. You don't have a healing ministry. I don't have a healing ministry. I have a ministry of reconciliation. I reconcile men's spirits back to God. That's called salvation. I reconcile men's souls back to God. That's called deliverance. And I reconcile men's bodies back to God. That's called healing. But it's all reconciliation. See, and, you, and somebody comes in front of me and says, well, I need help. Well, what's your problem? Well, you know, I'm having some, some uh, uh, anger problems. Oh, well, I'm sorry, I don't have a deliverance ministry. I just heal the sick. You'll have to go see Brother So-and-so. He's down there. Jesus never did that. Jesus said, give to any man that asks you. Isn't that right? What are you going to do? You're going to set them free. All you're doing is putting... See, the church thing, I have to be careful. Sometimes I'll say you think, and I don't know what you think, but I know the church as a whole thinks like this. They think in terms of, well, I have to get a healing anointing or a deliverance anointing or an anointing to raise the dead or an anointing to preach the gospel. or No, the Word is anointed. Get the Word in you and you're anointed. right? Get born again. Get the Spirit of Christ in you. You're anointed. Because the Spirit in you is, is the anointing. Now, but what we think is we have to have this specific anointing for something. And I'm telling you, now, there are areas that you are drawn to. Now, I wouldn't have any problem. Is there anybody not from this church here? Anybody? Some of you. Okay. Now, we don't represent necessarily this one local church, right? But we represent the body of Christ. And because of that, and because we're from different churches, there's no problem with everybody here having a gift of healing. Right? Now, now if everybody in the church had a gift of healing, then, and that's all they had, then that'd be a pretty lopsided church. Well, it's the same thing. That's why, if I came to you just preaching healing, I'd have a, I would automatically have a lopsided message. Because to a man with a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. Isn't that right? And so if I'm just going to come in and just teach you on healing, but what I'm teaching you, people say, well, does this work with deliverance? Yeah, same principles. If you were to take the same principles I'm teaching you for healing, it'll work with deliverance, it'll work with salvation. It's amazing how this stuff... It'll work overall. That's another way you can tell it's of God. Because the principles of God work in every area. You know, well, we don't have to learn deliverance in one way and healing another way. And no, Jesus did it all the same. He said, "What do you want? What do you want me to do for you?" Well, I want to receive, you know, my healing. Okay, receive your healing. What prayer is that? And what happened? They got healed. Isn't that right? You realize he just delivered. I've done that before. There have been people that came to Jesus, and they said, um, he would, they would tell him something, and he'd say, "Do you believe I can do this?" And they'd say, "Yay, yay, Lord, yeah." He said, "Okay, receive it." Isn't that right? I've done exactly the same thing. Had people come up and they would say, I want to be healed. And I'd say, all right, do you believe I can do it? And see, right there, probably half of you went, eh, you just put on the brakes. Because you know what you think? Well, of course you can't, but Jesus can. Okay? Then what are you doing in my line? Ain't right? Couldn't Jesus touch you back there where you're at? Why you got to get them? See, you, you know the person has something to do with it. You call it an anointing. I call it obedience. That's the difference. I don't look for an anointing. I don't wait for an anointing. I recognize that I'm a soldier. I'm a warrior for Christ. I'm here to do a job. I'm here to beat the enemy. And my commander-in-chief has given me all the weapons and tools I need to get it done. Now, you want to call it anointing? Okay. And you can, you know, kind of spiritualize it and flake out and get weird and, you know, and, and try to stand out as being super spiritual. And while you're doing it, I'll push you off to the side and we'll get people healed. 
right? Because it's not about you being blessed. I was one time, I was talking, to, actually I was meditating on some of these things, and I had the Spirit of God show me, if you want to say it that way. It wasn't a vision or anything, but just described to me is the best way to say it. That we think a good church meeting is whenever everybody's in here worshiping and all of a sudden something happens, we call it the Spirit of God coming in, where everybody falls out on their face and they're out for 45 minutes. But the Spirit of God told me that whenever He does that, when He comes in and people respond to that, and many times it's real and sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's psychological. you know, And people can work people into that kind of thing. That's why, that's why we don't have music. That's why I don't get worked up. What you're seeing right now is the way I'll minister Saturday night. Why? Because this is the way I am 24-7. I don't have to get worked up. Right? I live revival. I don't, I'm not looking for revival. I live revived. I don't need revival. Okay? I, because what most people call revival is just good church services. Good singing, good excitement, that kind of thing. But most, and this is what the Spirit of God showed me. That whenever He shows up, He's there to do something. Right? With the Christians. To use them. To get them to help set people free. That's why he showed... He is the spirit of liberty. Isn't that right? The spirit of freedom. That's who he is. If he shows up, people are to get free. And he shows up. And everybody, when he, when he walks in the door, all the Christians, you know what they do? They fall down. So he walks in ready to work. They all fall down. They're useless. And he's like, well, I thought we were going to get some work done, but everybody's out. Why? Because we would rather be blessed than be a blessing. See, now... I have times with God where I sense things and feel things and it's wonderful and all that, but it's not, usually not in a meeting. It's my private time with Him or whenever I'm... I'll go for a walk. I'll walk down the street and, and God is real. But yet at the same time, it's not a matter of, well, we've got to get in a service because... I mean, think about it. If the power of God is going to knock me down... What, have you ever seen it? Have you ever seen somebody that you lay hands on and they fall and you don't? Well, why don't you fall? If the power of God is strong enough to knock them down, why didn't it knock you down? I'm not saying it's not real. It's real. It is real. But you, as a minister of God, have to become insulated to carry the power without it affecting you. But see, most Christians don't ever rise to that level. Most of them operate at a level where it affects them the same way. They want to fall. They want, they want to be blessed. Now, when you're ministering, is not the time to be blessed. See, whenever you're ministering, you're, you, be blessed, you will be blessed by ministering. But not for you to sense the blessing. Man, that's whenever you finish. That's why at the healing service Saturday, I, I, we never know how many people are going to be there. But I guarantee this, whoever's there, everybody there will get prayed for. Every person will get ministered to. Now, we're not, I'm not going to start at one end of the room and head toward the door. And pray for everybody along the way. If you're there and you need ministry, you'll be prayed for. Simple as that. I don't see Jesus picking and choosing and... A lot of times I've seen ministers get that way where they can't carry on and they just have to stop. And I'm telling you, I just don't see that as the Spirit of God. I'm not saying they don't have the Spirit of God. I'm not saying, you understand, I'm not blasting anybody. I'm just saying we've got to rise to the point. I don't, I don't know why I can give you some examples or some uh, reasons. But I don't believe Jesus ever left anybody that needed healing untouched. I don't believe that he got to a place where he couldn't carry on because the Spirit was so strong. I believe that he ministered to people. And I believe that he was normal when he ministered to people. Matter of fact, I believe that's one of the reasons why they didn't really respond to him a lot of times. Because he wasn't spiritual enough. He didn't act strange enough. 
But I'm telling you, if you will get a hold of this, this is freedom. It's, it's easy to minister this way. It's not hard. I, man, used to, I had to work it up. You know, when I first started, man, I would strain, you know, and you lay, I used to lay hands, I, I used to lay hands on people's heads a lot of times. I don't do it anymore that, like that. There's nothing wrong with it. I just don't, usually because I'm so short that it's kind of like that. It's a little harder unless I'm on a platform. So it's easy, it's easy for me to have to take them by the hands. I just hold my hand out, take them by the hands, and there's other reasons we'll talk about as we go on. But I don't, generally, when I minister to people, I let life go into them. That's what I was saying a while ago. You're waiting for a healing anointing to go into them. All healing is, is the life of God going into a person and driving out sickness and death. And when you get enough life into them, they're well. So your job is just to become a big enough conduit that enough life can go into them to drive that thing out of them. It's real simple. So I'm not ministering healing. I'm ministering life. Because life defeats death. Life defeats sickness or disease. Isn't it? See how simple this stuff is? And it gets easier as you go along. Because I don't have to know all the details. You know, okay, how long have you had it? What's the effects of it? What's the name of it? You know, how did you get it? What? Jesus didn't do that stuff. You know, there was only once or twice where he ever said, how long has the boy been like this? Or how long has he had this? And people say, see right there, you've got to know how long he's had the devil or how long the devil's been in there. No, I guarantee you that was a humanity of Jesus. Compassion. Right after that, you'll read compassion. He had compassion on him. Why? Because, I, see, I didn't understand that. Most of what you're going to get out of this, you won't understand until you start doing it. Because you can hear it and you'll try to think about it and you'll spiritualize it and try to add all the details in. But I'm telling you, the first time I ever ask a person, how long has he had this? It was because a parent, parents, brought their baby to me, a child, and I'm looking at this situation and my heart broke. And I look at them and I think, how long? And they said, since he was five. And I'm like, my God, that's wrong. That's wrong. It's saying Right. And I laid my hands on that child and turned around and handed that child back to those parents and I said, he'll be okay now. And that child was completely healed. Why? Now, God didn't say, ask him how long he's... Come on, God wouldn't have to tell me to ask him how long. He could tell me how long. Isn't that right? I didn't have to know how long. It wasn't some spiritual thing so I would gear up because the devil's been there since he was a child so I've got to gear up stronger to get it out because it's more deeply embedded. It was a matter of compassion. And when you realize... Do you realize that the, remember the uh, widow of Nain? They're carrying her dead boy out. And Jesus looks at, at the woman and it says he had compassion on the mother. And they right? Not on the boy. On the mother. And he raised the boy from the dead because he had compassion on the mother. Now think about that. That boy was healed. He was raised from the dead because Jesus had compassion on the mother. Now, what does that do for the, well, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? Why did you die? Why did you have this sickness? Nothing. You see what I'm saying? It totally destroyed that whole belief. He looked at the woman and saw, because that was her only child. And he had compassion on her that wrote, that raised the dead. And yet we think it has to be a word and confirmation and a prophecy and we have to have a special anointing. No, he needs compassion. But that's our biggest problem. The Bible says in the last days, people's love will grow, will wax cold. And we'll be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Now, I'll tell you this. You don't have to fast and pray to cast out devils. You don't have to do it. I've cast out devils without fasting, without praying. I've done it. Alright? Even epileptic spirits, the very spirit that 
that uh, is in Matthew 17. People say, see right there, it says Jesus said this kind didn't go up by fasting and prayer. Yet if you look at your Bible, it's in italics. Jesus didn't say that. That was added in by people who had control of the Bible for a couple of hundred years who have a real thing about fasting and praying and eating fish on Friday. And so, <laughs> they, uh, they like that stuff, okay? So, they, they added that stuff in. And you say, well, why do you say that? Because Jesus couldn't get on to His disciples. Remember just before that, whenever John sent His disciples to Jesus, said, and they said, why don't you teach your disciples to fast like John taught His disciples? And Jesus said, while I'm with them, they won't fast. But when I'm gone, they'll fast. Isn't that right? Now, wasn't he still with them? Then they couldn't turn, he couldn't turn to them and go, you faithless bunch, I tell you, the reason this didn't happen is because you're not fasting. Because he just told them they don't have to fast. He, you can't get on to somebody for not doing what you tell them they don't have to do. Isn't that right? So Jesus didn't say that. But now, realize, people say, well, then how come they couldn't do it? He told them. He said, because of your unbelief. Isn't that right? And then he called them a faithless and perverse generation. Matter of fact, you read the whole story. Jesus was coming down off of a mountain. And he just come down off the mountain. And he finds the, the disciples arguing over who's the greatest. And at the same time, they were arguing. Now, I can tell you how it happened. They were all, all arguing over who was the greatest. And I guarantee you, one of them, probably Peter, because he was always the one shooting off his mouth. Isn't right? He probably said, here, move out of the way. Let me show you. I've seen Jesus do this whole bunch. Let me show you how to do it. Now watch this. You know, you know Jesus likes me the most anyway, so just stand back. You know? And so, and he tried it and couldn't do it. And then finally they came to him and said, Lord, why couldn't we do it? And he said, because of your unbelief. Isn't that right? And he said, you faithless and perverse generation. Now perverse means to twist something to your own advantage. That's what it means, to be twisted. And so when he called them perverse, he was saying, you're twisting things. What were they doing? They were Because tr- they even asked him. They said, Lord, who sinned? Was it the boy or was it his daddy? Well, isn't that what we're doing today? Well, where'd the sin come from? Is it the sin of the father? Is it the sin of the mother? Is it, is it the boy's sin? Is it the child? Is, who's, who sinned? And Jesus told him. Now, this is as close as Jesus ever came dealing with a generational curse. And he said, neither. Isn't it right? But then he had such a, a focus that he was able to say, but that the works of God may be made manifest. I must work the works of him that sent me. So he, didn't, he did not focus on pointing the blame. He focused on getting the job done. See, that's our problem. We want to, well, it must, see, we, we do the same thing Adam did. Remember whenever God tried to find Adam? He says, Adam, where are you? And, and finally he finds him. And he said, who told you? And, and finally Adam says, hey, that woman you gave me, she's the one that did it. Isn't that right? You realize who he was blaming? The woman you gave me. He was blaming somebody else. And God. Isn't that right? What do we do today? Your sin or God's will. That's why people don't get healed. It must be your sin or God's will. We're doing the same thing Adam did. But Jesus never did that. Jesus always pointed to blame. If somebody didn't get healed, who got blamed? Disciples. Isn't that right? Not the sick. It was always the disciples. And he blasted them. Jesus only blasted one group of people, one class, one type of people. Religious. People who had a form of godliness, but denied the power. And that's exactly his attitude toward it today. Jesus never came here to to form a religion. He came here to show men 
how to walk with the Spirit of God, how to have a relationship with God. Isn't that right? See, I've got to send you a break. Yes, definitely got to send you a break. They, um, you notice how I say that and keep on talking? <laughs> Get used to that. Okay, so, but um, whenever Christianity started, started in Israel, started as a relationship. Right? Relationship with God. Then it goes to Greece, becomes a philosophy. Goes to Rome, becomes a religion. Comes to America, becomes an enterprise. Isn't that it? But we've got to get it back. We've got to get back to a relationship, back away from all the stuff, all the trappings. And that's why people, I tell you, people like religion because it's neat and categorized. It doesn't get dirty. It doesn't get mixed gray areas. Or You don't have to do certain things. You know if you do this, you're okay. If you don't do that, you're not okay. But that's only in man's eyes. When I was mentioning earlier about when I talked to my dad, and I'll say this and send you to break because you can think about this while we go to break. <clears throat> my dad was a policeman. And there are policemen who arrest the wrong people. Right? We hear about all the time somebody gets out of prison after being in there 18 years. Uh, DNA proves their innocence. And then they turn around and they try to file a lawsuit against the state or, or the federal government. And then they get money from it. Now, the amazing thing is the government pays. Right? The policeman that arrested them does not. And I was talking to my dad about that. I said, if a policeman makes an arrest, but it's the wrong person, what happens? And he said, if, if the arrest is made in good faith, in other words, if it's based on good information, in other words, if all the information that the policeman had pointed to that person, and they were arrested, then no matter what happens with that person, even if they're proven innocent, the policeman is not to be blamed or to be uh, prosecuted in any way. In other words, if his intent was to uphold the law, he's okay. Now, the government will pay because someone did wrong, right? They, there was some mess up somewhere. And the reason I was looking at this is because I said, who gives you the authority to do this, to arrest people? He said, all policemen's authority does not come from the local state or from the local jurisdiction, local city. It comes from the Attorney General of the state. He's the top police officer of the state. A policeman's commission comes from the Attorney General. What God was showing me in this is this. And this is the point I want to get across. If you get a hold of this, this will help you. If you realize that you're going by the book, you've got the laws written called the New Testament. This is our parameters. It's what we work by. If you are in good faith ministering to a person, helping a person, based on the spirit and the letter, then even if you're wrong, God will back you up and accomplish what you're trying to accomplish because of the intent of your heart and your motivation. Even if your methods are wrong. I have prayed for people in a big service and can't hardly hear Loud music, that kind of stuff. And I'm trying, what, what do we do? And, and somebody would say, I thought they said they had a headache. And in reality, they said they had heart problems. And so I grab a hold of them in the name of Jesus right now. I command this headache to go. And I command you to be set free. 
And I turn loose of them. Two weeks later, we hear, you prayed for me at the such and such. Here's who I am. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Pray for a headache. No, no, no. My heart was healed. Why? Because my intent was their freedom. See, you want to get hung up on the formula. Got to say the right word, the right way. It's got to be perfect. Everything's got to be just right. You don't know what's just right. Matter of fact, you want to pray the perfect prayer for them. Pray in tongues. Yeah. Well, how do I pray for this? Well, do you know how to pray? No, I wouldn't be asking. Well, when you don't know how to pray, the Bible says pray in tongues. That's the perfect prayer. Now, that's not generally the way we minister to people. But you have to realize, people will tell you one thing and that's not the problem. And a lot of times they don't know the problem. Other times they're too embarrassed to tell you the problem. I've quit. I don't even get... See, be as general as possible, as specific as necessary. But do you know when I take hold of them? I just say, in Jesus' name, be free. I set you free. Be healed. That way, if they got ten things, I don't have to name all ten. Because I might miss one. But if I say be healed, that means all of them have to go. And they get completely healed. I got tired of them being half healed. You know? Well, you beat this one, you beat that one, but this one's still there. Why? Because I was specific. And when you're specific, the devil's specific. And he will hold you to that technicality. And so you have to learn to be general like Jesus. Be healed. Isn't that simple? No long prayers. Simple. Amen? Take a break. Real quick. Let's take about ten minutes.